This is the Chicken Yogi Show, hosted by the Chicken Yogi, Kit Kilstow. Kit creates neurodivergent and chronic illness liberation through a devotion to radical free-range wellness. Look for wellness as unique as you are and find your own path with the Chicken Yogi way. Learn more and receive a free gift when you subscribe to their newsletter at chickenyogi.com. And now, today's show. now today's show. Well, welcome to the Chicken Yogi Show. I am honored to be here today with Danny the Punk Rock Autistic. I've been following their page on Facebook for a while, really love what they talk about. And today we're going to discuss not only Danny's work, but also tea. Tea is a special interest and they will do a little demonstration for us. So Let's begin by having you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I, my name's Danny. I'm, uh, I live in Denver, uh, Colorado. Uh, I have been running my social media platform for about two years now. Um, I was inspired to kind of get into online advocacy and activism for disability rights and neurodivergency. Uh, a few years ago, um, I was diagnosed autistic at 27, but kind of grew up in the special education program. Um, wild that they missed it, you know, until so so much later in life. But I uh, worked in direct support and in um, uh, special education and a bunch of other kind of a little bit of everything in the in that field for 15 years or so, and. Um, from that kind of thought that there was a, a lot of work that needs to be done from kind of a firsthand lived experience that is, you know, uh, fortunately growing now from a lot of other people, but it's been, there's still a lot of work to be done uh, and branched out from my social media. And I now do uh, private and um, individual consulting uh, for neurodiverse people and for families, as well as uh uh, assist with research programs for universities and provide neurodiversity accommodation trainings in the workplace um, and kind of seeing what, else, seeing what else I can get into. But that's kind of the gist of, of my little background and, my, uh, and what I do. Wow, that sounds not only fascinating, but something that is so needed, mm -hmm. especially in terms of lived experience and presenting these trainings and advocacy from lived experience. So that's wonderful. And that's how I connected with your page was through the advocacy work. Hmm. And one of the things that you mentioned was your tea ceremonies and the tea work that you do. Yeah. And that comes from a little bit of a different place. Would you mind telling us just a little bit about how you got into that? Sure. It's a really long story, but I'll try to consolidate as much as I can. Um, I, have been a practicing uh, Buddhist for about oh God, 16 years now. And um, uh, a long time ago at one of the temples I was a part of for several years, um, my former teacher, um, he is a Chinese Malaysian and in the temple, which is a, this is, I'm, I'm now more affiliated with like Zen Buddhism, but prior it was like in Tibetan uh, Buddhism. Um, and within the temple, uh, we had a what's a traditional Chinese tea ceremony kind of tea service like area in in the temple where 
through volunteering and my own work there and studying and practicing, uh, I got really invested in it through my teacher. And um, when we would have people come into the temple, uh, it was one of the things that we offered. And it was something I was really enthusiastic about sharing with people. And through my navigation towards more of the Japanese Zen um, uh, practice, uh, there's this whole essence of everything is meditation. And um, not only with like Zazen, like sitting on the, on the cushion, but kind of taking that uh, deliberate sort of method, myth, um, methodical kind of uh, practice of everything having intention is kind of what like the T's like uh, um, focused on, right? Um, but then it's also like a social thing where, you know, you, you go to Hong Kong, you see old dudes just like smoking cigarettes, drinking whiskey and playing like, you know, gambling games while drinking gung fu. So it, it can be kind of both perspectives. But um, yeah, and then I worked at a, a tea house for many, many years, and it was kind of the same thing. So um, gradually just became a really big interest of mine. Um, and it's something that I really love to share when friends come over. Um, it's always really cool when like people have no exposure to that, of how drastically different the culture is for tea in the West compared to like uh, in other regions of the world. Um, and with like, the particular type of tea that I really enjoy is um, Chinese and Japanese, Korean and Taiwanese sort of tea styles, which all are very similar in, in concept, but very different in different perspectives. Um, I always tell people it's kind of similar to like uh, wine culture or like whiskey culture, where you have a bunch of different cultivars in different regions where things are very drastically different from each other. So it's been kind of a hyper focus of mine for God, years now. So. I'm I'm glad you compared it or mentioned it to like wine culture yeah. because yeah I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize is they think tea is tea yeah and yeah and um, anything that you put in it in hot water they consider tea which like tea is very specific like the word tea um is like the the service in like in in Chinese it's gong fu cha which is like the way like it, it, gong fu is just like, like you would think with martial arts, but like just a practice cultivation or something. But sha is the original word for tea. And then Japanese is ocha and different languages have similar things. But it's specific to like the plant Camellia sinensis. So it's not just uh, anything you put in hot water. It's very, very specific. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, what... you're, you're... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, please go ahead. Um, I don't know when I was what, where I was going. Uh, so by all means, please. <laughs> That's okay. I was just going to say, before your water gets cold, hmm. why why don't you share a little bit of that with us, and then we can talk a little bit more about tea and the process and, sure. and you know, whatever you'd like to share. Um, yeah, I don't have, like, a big setup right now. Um, I have, we're, my partner and I recently moved here really about a year and a half ago, and I have so much, like, just stuff built up that, uh, and not everything's unpacked, but uh, right now, I got a little bit of water brewing. If my camera cuts out, I apologize. So you can't really. Let me see if I can move this back a little bit. Here we go. There we go. All right. So um, this is kind of just like my little setup for like when I'm just like serving myself. But um, I'll kind of like address what each thing is. So these are just like the tools that I use various things for like um, getting the tea into the pot and and cleaning uh, the pot or uh, uh, certain, here I'll show you, certain types of tea, one that I drink a lot, 
sorry, I should have grabbed this before, um, is what's called uh, Huer, which is like one of the oldest sources of tea. Uh, it's an old, very, uh, uh, very ancient. It's been around for, you know, like I think upwards to like 1600 years in China um, is, uh, this is, so it comes in like, this type of tea comes in a brick, uh, which they call a bing. Um, and you can kind of see it's kind of translates to like tea cake. Um, it's very compressed um, and tons of layers. And I've actually been holding onto this one for probably about eight years now. So there's two particular types. There's Sheng and Shou. Uh, there, one is more of a raw sort of like unprocessed, uh, oxidized, very green, not really like green tea. It's a little bit more bitter than green tea. It has a little bit more complexity, has like notes of like tobacco and whiskey. But, um, traditionally this would be aged for decades and through the, the aging process, it naturally ferments through the, uh, the enzymes and, uh, amino acids and microorganisms that live within the tea and then that becomes like a darker version of it um and that's usually very very expensive um and then show is kind of like an artificial form of that so with the tool that i have they flash ferment it so it kind of ferments much quicker the tool that i have is like a bunch of these picks that like is used for breaking apart but today i'm not drinking that right now i'm actually drinking a taiwanese black tea called ruby number no. seven um and it's a newer cultivar from taiwan and it's delicious it, it kind of has like this like cherry kind of bourbony kind of flavor so mm -hmm. all the tools that i'm using here um this is called a yixing pot it's made from a yixing clay which is from i believe like the hunan region of china and it's very porous um and tech generally when people are using these sorts of pots they have i have about five or six of them um, and each single one of them is, uh, you season the pot. So it's like used specifically for one type of tea. So when the, the oils and the amino acids in the tea starts to, over time, it kind of takes on the flavor of it. Um, so this one I use for black tea. And then, so that's a yuxing. This is just, uh, I, for, I always forget the name of it uh, in, in, in Cantonese and Mandarin. But um, this is just what's used to pour the tea into here. And then uh, my little cups and my filter. So... Um, traditionally with Gong Fu, what sets it apart from other like tea center, like tea services from other regions in Asia is that, uh, you have smaller vessels with a large amount of tea. And, uh, instead of having something like just infused once, um, for five or six minutes, it's used, use a lot of tea and it, the infusion process can last for hours. So it's like flash infusions very, very quickly. And, the reason why it's designed that way is so that a lot of these teas have a lot of complexity and depth to it. So the more the more infusions you have, the more that the tea starts to open up and it releases different flavors. So some of these puer teas and some of these oolongs and black teas can often um, have, you know, you'll have 20, 30 infusions with them. Um, but each infusion has a drastically different flavor and it starts to develop more complexity. It peaks and then it plateaus and then it kind of dive bombs and then the tea's dead. So um, generally when I serve, uh, when I'm preparing it, I will like kind of prepare the, the tea in the pot by like heating it up to kind of allow the, um, the leaves to open up unfurl because they're dry and very compressed. And that's kind of called like washing the tea. And um 
any sort of dirt, grime, anything that might be on it, just organic residue, kind of just, uh, you want to kind of wash it off so you're not shrinking that. Um, and since Yixing absorbs heat and retains heat, it's it's really, pro it's like generally a good idea to kind of use that wash as a means of like heating, heating it up and allowing that clay to kind of come back to life. Um, and then I just, you know, kind of go over time with just more and more infusions. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. Um, but if you have, do you have any questions about that? No, I'm finding this all very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty... <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I yeah. wish I could share it with you. This is a really good tea. Um, I, uh, I, when I buy my tea, I usually, um, when I used to live, when I, before I moved back to Colorado, uh, in North Carolina, there were many tea shops uh, and one of the tea houses I used to work at. And there was a lot of, it was a lot more accessible to get it locally. Um, but even then and now as well, I, uh, when I order my tea, I usually order at certain types of the times of the year when things are more accessible. Uh, like in spring, uh, a lot of green teas are they uh, they call it first flush, which is like the first harvest is usually the best, usually the most expensive and usually the highest quality. So every year during the spring, I'll usually like you know make an order for that, and throughout the year I'll get different things. But um, and they're all I I order directly from source from the farmers themselves, from sourcing companies that work independently and directly in these Asian countries and bring it back for Westerners to enjoy. So it's cool. It doesn't go through like a lot of channels so the, the money is it's all like a fair trade so it goes right back to the farmers and all these are like you know family owned and they've been running these these uh these spots for hundreds and hundreds of years so this one's new though this is a this tea was actually just developed a couple of years ago I'm a big fan of it wow and and that touches my heart to to, to get the money directly to the farmers being yeah. a, be, being of a, a farmer descendant and farmer myself i um, some of my education is in ag and yeah. be, being, you know, being able to get things, especially, um, especially things that come from, you know, other parts of the world, because one of the things that I'm um, very interested in, I just completed a, a class for my college degree yoga and meditation we talked basically about the origins of buddhism the origins of yoga and what the class didn't get into was more the the westernization or colonization of that so yeah. to to see you go back and to, to see you take this practice and i can tell that that would be just such a beautiful calming meditative practice it is and um when Traditionally, uh, when you go into a, um, a zendo, a, a temple, or whatever, um, a tea is often used as a, for monks and priests and practitioners as a way to kind of um, stay alert during meditation. Um, and a lot of these teas uh, do have a high level of caffeine in them because Camellia sinensis is a natural plant that has, uh, you know, is a plant that has natural high levels of caffeine, depending on the oxidization, the cultivation of the plant. But um, what's different about things like oolongs and puers and um, some green teas and some black teas is that uh, whereas like coffee, when you drink a large amount of it, you get jittery, you know, you can kind of get a little, a little bit too much of a buzz. But with tea, like real tea, 
is that there's a, a compound called L-theanine in it. And that's a, an, an amino acid that actually neutralizes the jitteriness feeling that you get from caffeine. Um, and there's a term that they, that they use in, in, in Chinese, and um, which is uh, cha chi. Uh, my pronunciation is terrible, so anybody watching this, I apologize. But um, which literally translates to tea drunk. Um, so there's a mild, I don't want to, I don't want to say, I, I, I wouldn't know if I would say it's psychoactive or psychotropic, but it's, it's through the L-theanine and the amino acids mixing with the caffeine that it's a, it's a really pleasant kind of alertness, but very, very calming. Um, so at least my partner says, it's always, oh, it kind of feels like you took an Ativan a little bit. I'm like, yeah, but without the danger of, you know, using, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, synthetic you know things um but uh it's a lot of in china like monks would you know drink large amounts of puer and you know during the day to kind of further their studies and their practices but yeah it's a it is a very meditative sort of um ritual for me i would say uh it's definitely enriched my life it's enriched my own like dharmic practice um and it's been a great way to connect with friends um Prior to moving to Denver, when I was in uh, in Maryland and North Carolina, um, I would set up a tea kind of. I have a, I have a really big tea table that I, I have, and you know, big portable water heater. And I would set up in the park, and I would have a sign that says, "I'll serve you tea if you tell me your story." And that was always a very um, a wonderful experience because the connections I got to build with people was really, really nice. Oh wow, that sounds amazing! I. That just sounds so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it was always funny how confused people were. It was like, tea, like, what, what, what is all this for? Why do you have all this stuff? I'm like, let me tell you about this. And I go on an autistic, like, info dump about it, you know. Um, but that's, yeah, that's that's kind of the gist of it. Uh, sorry, my cat. Um, that's okay. Yeah. And for me, with my own meditation practice, is such a integral part of my life um that the two are you know i'll do my more formal sitting meditation and whatnot and you know uh other things kind of with my practice of my my lineage and tradition um but this is always something that is like accommodating it before or after in some way and i think go ahead. Oh, i just say i think that's so important that you that there that that you've mentioned different types of meditation mm-hmm. Because one thing I hear so common in the autistic community, in the neurodivergent community as a whole under that big umbrella is meditation as they're taught by somebody doesn't work for them. And I um, I know myself, even with just the meditation teacher training I've gone through, it's a very holistic and very neurotypical folk this training about sit there breathe try not to think of anything and that's the complete opposite of like working meditations walking meditations yeah. things like that i i would love for you to, to share more um about meditation if you feel comfortable doing so of course um so my uh my the lineage that i'm a part of now is um called soto uh the soto school soto shoe uh, which is one of the main pillars of Japanese Zen. And it was started uh, by uh, a monk God, in the 1400s, 1300s, uh, named Dogen. And um, Dogen was a, 
a form of Dogen practice of I think it might have been Tendai Buddhism, which is a little bit more esoteric, kind of in line with Vajrayana. Um, I could be wrong about that, but he his whole like perspective on it is like the teaching in Zen, which originally came from China, which was called Shan, which was brought to China from India by a man named Bodhidharma. And um, one of the things that separates Zen and Shan from other schools of Mahayana Buddhism is that there is this idea through the teachings of the Buddha of like emptiness and there being um, that enlightenment isn't a goal. It's not something that you achieve. It's it's a uh, it's it's your like birthright. It's your natural state of existence, right? And without getting into too much like you know philosophical technical things, I'll, I'll give the because <laughs> I can go on and on about that. But um, if that's if that's already like the birthright, and we just have kind of been so disillusioned and, and conditioned through you know social conditioning and and cultural norms and this idea of like what the self is if it is this natural state and not this identity that we associate with then what is the purpose of meditating if it's already there and that's what dogen like was like trying to question and he found that uh the most there's so much extra things added into practice and so many extra things that we add into our life that distracts us from being in, in, the, in the present and the this form of meditation that exists in um in soda zen is called shikantaza which literally means like just sitting and that it's a goalless practice and a lot of meditation practices that exist in the west like you said are very culturally appropriated and there's also this kind of dynamic that exists as somebody who has, you know, degrees in psychology and it's like, that's I'm, my consulting, like utilizes that is not, does not like not denying, you know, this Western method, but that there's something missing, right? Is that there's this idea that like, there's this, it's like oil and water between, you know, this Eastern and Western kind of concept, but like in reality, there really isn't a whole lot of difference. It's just the presentation that's different. So You'll have things like in 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 therapy, like you know EMDR and like grounding techniques, which are all heavily inspired by uh, Buddhist meditation, but they're they're missing something, right? And for me, that is like that. There's all of this extra stuff, and there's this idea that like you have to stop thinking, or that like you that if like you can meditate wrong, and I I, I really think that that's like kind of misinformation and kind of a, an unfortunate sort of like complex that's been kind of ingrained into people and i think that like when it's taught in that way it can be really difficult for a lot of neurodivergent people and neurotypical people as well is that like there's this sense of like i'm not getting anything out of it where in zen it's like there's no difference between our like our waking state our walking state and sitting on the cushion it's just like in, in it's integration right and um for me i think that like when i'm my idea of meditation is that it's returning to form it's returning to letting go of this idea that we have to be somebody that we have to do something that there's some sort of like alternative like ulterior like reason for for living rather than just being alive and that's kind of like a, a reminder of that and 
when I like, so for my meditation practice and, and a lot of Buddhist meditation practice in general, like Shikantaza is based off of traditional Vipassana, Shamatha, like the original source of meditation of the Buddha. And Dogen was trying to return to that, like get rid of all of the extra stuff because it's not needed. Let's just sit and, 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 and be present. And even like with the meditation practice, it's like the, the breathing is really just um, a grabbing and returning back. So when our mind wanders, it's 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 kind of returning back to form um and a constant kind of reorganizing of that without any sort of pressure without any sort of like deliberate kind of like i need to do this it's just a gentle reminder and with the with with shikantaza in general it's this idea that there is no there's there's nothing to gain and there's nothing to lose it's it's being completely free and uh, like and, and kind of falling like in Buddhism the formal truth natal path of like of 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 unfeathering that attachment of of this need to do something and I think for neurodivergent people it can be really beneficial especially for autistic people because so many of us are ADHD and when I first entered meditation it was very difficult for me because I had this this idea in my mind that is you know this concept that you were talking about which kind of led this spiraling where I'm like, this isn't, nothing's happening, nothing's gaining. And it's sure there's realizations and experiences that you have with meditation or outside of that, but that's like, that's not the goal. It's, it's just to, to sit and to give yourself a moment um, to not have to spiral out like we constantly do. Um, if that makes sense, kind of going on a tangent, but I hope that answers your question. No, that, yeah, that's beautiful. I'm reminded of the connection between yoga and Buddhism and Taoism, which is the the liberation or the freedom. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that when I look at, I see a lot, there's, I, I, I am also going for a psychology degree. And one of the things that I see is there's a lot of separation between mind and body. And if we look at yoga, for example, around the, yeah, around the 1900s, all of a sudden we had modern mindfulness yoga, modern meditation yoga, and we had modern postural yoga, hatha yoga, and hot yoga, and all that. And that separation, and I see that separation as somebody who has navigated the medical world with chronic illness too. That when we start separating everything, when we when we stop seeing the whole picture that that that's really when the that's really when we can kind of get ourselves in trouble yeah i yeah. would agree completely it's um it's interesting because the word yoga mm-hmm. and the practice of yoga is very different from the indian tibetan asian buddhist and hindu and vedanta kind of practices in general of what that word means and what the practice is in the west compared to like what its original source is right like so in sanskrit like the word yoga like would apply to the meditation that i do it would apply to you know esoteric vajrayana sort of based like esoteric um visualization meditations it would apply to uh kung fu it would apply to um the stuff that you see like if you went to your local ymca but i feel that like this idea that like as somebody who's chronically ill and in chronic pain as well it's something that like i think 
this idea of like mind consciousness and body being these separate entities is really I think a lot of cultures around the world through thousands of years have had this have known that like through their own quiet introspective kind of uh practices that they've seen that there isn't a difference between these things it's this idea somehow that we've we're so firmly like transfixed on this idea that like this i this identity right this this me danny uh is like this permanent kind of existing like thing and it's it's not it's this nebulous vapid kind of transitory sort of experience from moment to moment and in buddhism like the idea of like uh anatta is like no self that there this idea of like an identity doesn't exist and a lot of people can like misread that as like annihilationism or like you know nihilism and it's not that at all because it's you know in the middle of of, of polar extremes but that meditation is kind of like a seeing that of seeing the true nature of our of ourselves and like not to get like too like metaphysical but like from a, a more like secular perspective i think that like the med- meditation practices and developing rituals can kind of lessen this grip that we have on like our own suffering and see it for what it is see it objectively and that can be our own trauma our own mental health our own physical pain and for me who suffers from all of the above having that that practice kind of allows me my mind to step back and see the bigger picture of that like it's a sum of its parts it's all of these different things occurring and they're all connected interdependently with each other that creates this experience that i'm having and when i see that it's like oh it's just pain it's in it, it like for me it's the pain is so much worse when i'm like not aware of it when i'm not mindful of it but when i sit with it it lessens its kind of vice grip on me and i'm sure it sounds kind of weird but like that's just like for me at least you know well and i think that's what um john kabat-zinn was getting at with his mindfulness-based stress reduction Mm -hmm. to try to to try to marry the um the buddhist meditation and the just simply being you know I'm existing, I am good, it's okay to exist and to just, you know, to to sit here and exist, which is a really radical thing to think about. Well, not only that, but it's also okay to be not okay. It's okay to be, it's both, it's like being, um, the term that I like, that I think really fits with this is like equanimity, right? This idea that like both good and bad exist and they're all just a matter of perspective and when we kind of can see that as like it objectively in the middle like with our own health with our own state of mind it it i think like with what you were explaining it like really kind of fits with that especially with like things like you know cbt and dbt and more of a like a like uh what is it called a uh abt i think is the new one that's kind of awareness based like uh behavioral like techniques okay. um I think that might be the acronym um, or like humanist perspectives is marrying like a lot of these older concepts and practices that exist for thousands of years. And it's, I think definitely like destigmatizing them. Um, you know, it's, it's it, I, I, I think it's been really helpful for a lot of people. And I think to, to kind of, to kind of, kind of bring this all together um, the, the practices 
that we each choose and the practices which speak to our heart, you know, that those can help us be in the moment, be mindful, mm-hmm. as well as help find ways to nourish us so that way we can, I'm not, my brain's croaking, um, <laughs> but, but that way we can, you know, that way we can have ways to, to, to care for ourselves mm-hmm. beyond and make our own, make our own ways to, to find that kind of wellness for ourselves. I agree. I think that like everything that I've mentioned, everything that I've talked about, um, I think the most important part and the reason behind all of it is um, compassion. And I think that living in our capitalist dystopia, I think that's something that we isn't nourished. It's seen as weakness. It's seen as something that is like, you know, new agey or like woo woo or a waste of time um, because we live in such a hyper individualistic culture that it's become so individualized that like not only we've forgotten about the greater connectivity between all of us but we've also kind of forgotten ourselves in the process right and i think that like all of these things can cultivate and the purpose of them is 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 compassion and loving kindness not only for others but also for ourselves and we can't do that when we're so distracted and we're so absorbed and in you know um the passing of, of life when you know life should be enjoyed but like we need to remember how to do that and i think doing that is through finding kindness for ourselves and that's just the most beautiful place to end our conversation today so if if you could tell people you know how to find out more about you your work any any links you want to share i'll of course put them in the show notes as well sure um so you can find me on Facebook on at the Punk Rock Autistic. Uh, I'm on other forms of social media, but I don't really use them as actively. Um, Facebook is kind of the the most like I guess the one of the, the furthest reach and the one I'm most active on. Um, uh, and then you can also find me on my website, which is thepunkrockautistic.com, and there I have. Uh, a growing, ever-growing kind of resource like page that has tons of resources for mental health, for um, like uh, intersectional like uh, activism and advocacy. Uh, there's stuff for LGBTQ resources. Um, it's and and neurodiversity and and and, and autism and disability rights. Uh, it's it's very massive. It's from a lot of stuff that I find to be really helpful for a lot of people is in there. But then you can also kind of find like where I write my articles, um, which I've been publishing on my website. And you can also find resources uh, if you wanted to kind of uh, look into my, my my business of consulting and, and mentorship is also on that site. So those are probably the two uh, main kind of places that you can find me. Okay, great. Well, again, I will share those in the show notes for, you know, anybody who wants wants to find that information. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to, to share a little bit of yourself with us today and to talk to us um, about, you know, Buddhism and meditation and yoga and tea and I will try not to feel very pedestrian as I open my Amazon tin of jasmine green tea. And <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not going to gatekeep you by any means. There's like, I mean, I, I like, while I probably want to go out of my way to drink that, but like, if that's what's available and you enjoy it by all means, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. So mm-hmm. I will share this information and thank you so much again for being here.
Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Chicken Yogi Show, hosted by The Chicken Yogi, Kit Kilstow. Kit's passion is creating neurodivergent and chronic illness liberation through a devotion to radical free-range wellness. We're not one-size-fits-all people, so why should your wellness be designed for everyone? Learn more at chickenyogi.com and subscribe to the newsletter while you're there for a free gift. Please follow the podcast at podcast.chickenyogi.com. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Music is Running with the Horses by Purple Planet Music. Their website is purple-planet.com. This show is copyright 2023. All rights reserved by Kit Kalestow and Chicken Yogi. Thank you for listening.